Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Susanna Skyer Gupta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to episode nine for season 12. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2022. For those following, that's 2-22-2022. And it's Tuesday. This episode is for release on the 9th of March, 2022. The episode is sponsored by towering tech titans, cute cartoon butterflies, and the intoxicating promise of a single code base across all platforms. I'm your host, Drew Freeman, along always with my co-host, Susanna Skyer-Gupta. Thanks, Drew. This episode, we welcome back Brian Kafitz. Brian has worked on video games, e-commerce, productivity, finance, and travel apps. He became an independent contractor just before the start of the pandemic, and we'll be talking about that. And here at RayWenderlich.com, he is an expert on all things Flutter and is the outgoing lead recently led our Flutter team. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. This is a, a great way to rehash and catch up because of the way the technology moves. We did this about two years ago with Alex as the co-host, but let's uh, let's take a look now because in two years, Flutter has changed just a, a little bit. <laughs> just a bit, yes. Before we jump onto the technology, we always ask this thing, pandemic-wise, is everything going okay with you and yours? Yeah, it, well... I know you said it was two years ago, but uh, it felt like yesterday that we were just talking. That's the uh, the Groundhog Day like time loop that we seem to be stuck in. Nothing's changed at all. <laughs> yeah, it really does. the uh, The pandemic was just hitting during that season, and now we're yes. uh, we're hopefully heading out of it. But some things are returning to normal. Some things, meh. <laughs> Brian, you're in Toronto. Yes, I'm just north of Toronto in uh, King City, Canada. Oh, it's a lovely area. So how does it feel there in terms of the pandemic? I mean, does it feel like it's over or does it, what does feel different, <sighs> if anything? Uh, so it kind of, I guess it depends if you, you ask. So my family, we've been very uh, COVID conscious, uh, probably more so than um, any of outside our standard uh, social cycles so within our house everything is still like super clean and taken care of like we haven't been to a grocery store in two years oh wow uh, we still order everything online like we've digified everything our life is pure digital at this point if we go sh if you don't have an e-commerce platform we're probably not going to patronize uh at this point uh now outside our house uh People are getting a little bit more relaxed, probably more than I would feel comfortable with because I have a, a toddler that I'm taking care of and he's not not vaccinated. So Right. Mm -hmm. And can't be. Yeah, he's he's too little to get a job. So he's only two. There's they're still working on yes. those approvals. Yeah. Well, the dosing is so, so delicate there. Yeah. My hope is that by the time that it gets around to his age group being allowed, it won't be required anymore. It's like, it'll just mm -hmm. kind of, it does feel like we're winding down, uh, fingers crossed, things go back to normal in the summer. We've signed them up for uh, soccer in the summer, oh, so wow. they better stop the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, he's how old? He's two, two in a month. 
precisely. Okay, and he'll be he'll be playing soccer. Oh, <laughs> he'll be on. That's the gonna be field. so cute. <laughs> that is gonna be definitely adorable. I, I suppose yeah. I should say since you're up in Toronto and this is the 22nd, happy belated family day. Thank you. Yes, to you as well. And you had President's Day this week, right? We had President's Day. Yeah. Try to keep up with my American holidays. It's challenging. I, I keep up with my Canadian, with my girlfriend. She's always reminding me when she's got days off because because of her kids. Mm. Okay, so yesterday was family day? Yes. Okay. Which is basically just a business is shut down day. Yeah, basically. Uh, it's a more recent holiday that we just decide, yeah, we don't have a stat holiday in February, so let's make up one. And family day was created. It's a nice idea, too. That makes sense. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah long weekends are nice. It, it makes honestly more sense than Victoria Day. I, I don't think we anyone really cares that much about Queen Victoria anymore. <laughs> so, it's been a couple hundred years. So, yeah. Very true. All right, let, let us wind over into technology. And while we will talk about a lot of the changes, let, let's go back and at least rehash some of the basics of trying to explain to newer listeners or people who haven't necessarily caught the old episodes. How do we explain what Flutter is? Flutter is a multi-platform UI framework. So it is used to create iOS apps, Android apps, and now you can use it to create uh, web apps, desktop apps for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. And it keeps spreading out further and further. So it is kind of trying to fulfill the promise of one code base that can go everywhere. And it actually does a remarkably good job at that. It's definitely not the first technology that's tried to solve this problem, but <laughs> uh, I think it's probably the most successful technology to uh, solve this problem. When you look at, do you have some statistics on where it's being most used? Like, are there more Android apps that are really made in Flutter or iOS or web? Like, how does that break down? Um, I wouldn't be privy to those exact numbers because um, it's an open source technology. So pretty much anyone can mm -hmm. go and create. I know uh, Google likes to publish how many Flutter apps are on the uh, Google Play Store. They probably don't have that information on uh, the Apple side. I'm pretty sure Apple right. would want to share that. So right. uh, there's over 100,000 uh, Flutter apps on Google Play at this point. Um, I can go look up kind the of actual amazing. number. Yeah, it's, it's grown up um, incredibly fast. Uh, recently, Flutter actually surpassed React Native in terms of stars on GitHub, which is great. Um, so it's the web is getting more stable. They announced uh, stable Windows support around last week or two weeks ago. Um, and stable by Flutter standards is usually like really, really stable. They're very cautious oh, about wow. what they call stable. Unlike Swift UI, where it's like, oh, it's stable, but it's still not really. Yeah, but don't really use it in no. something that's production. Yeah. Yeah. So now Flutter is open source, but it's open source by way of Google's creation. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so it's it started um, inside Google actually as a fork of Chrome, interestingly enough, where um, the developers of Chrome basically thought, how can we make the web like really, really, really fast if we don't worry about backwards compatibility and get rid of JavaScript? Uh, and that's kind of the how Flutter started. So a lot of the brains at the root of Flutter is the same as Chrome. So they both use the Skia uh, rendering engine, which is a wrapper on top of OpenGL slash Vulkan slash Metal, like all the GPU type uh, painting. And then on top of uh, Skia, then it ports to Dart, which is the programming language that is used to communicate to Flutter. Uh, and from there, you build your, your apps. But uh, it kind of it runs almost like a game engine. So you could say that uh, Flutter and Unity kind of have a lot in common because they both are really just everything is rendered by the GPU as opposed to the CPU, which is why it's so amazingly fast. Okay, that's interesting. That so Flutter and Unity. When are you not using Flutter and you should be using Unity instead? Uh, if you want to do anything in three D you should be using Unity. And also, if you want to make a game, you should be using Unity. <laughs> but. Okay, interesting. So you wouldn't advocate making games in Flutter. That's just not, I mean, other than like, it might be fun to play with as like a learning project. Well, you can make games in Flutter for sure. Um, there is actually a lightweight engine called Flame, which recently got to 1.0, which tries to build on top of the core Flutter engine to build their own game engine. And it's definitely very interesting for uh, 2D casual games, but um, in terms of the uh, ecosystem, in terms of support, and definitely if you want to do anything more advanced, uh, there's no catching up to Unity or Unreal. So right. probably okay. uh, that would be the better choice in terms of if you want to make a very serious game. For casual games, Flutter can work very well. I've actually made a couple of games in Flutter just for fun. So it does work. But yeah, you have to, you're not going to make Fortnite in Flutter. No, I always find a, a good a good example game is Game of Life. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's nice, it's simple, it's grid-based, so there's some sense of drawing, but there's also more computational, quote, business logic involved to make that one come to life. And it's a really great test of pretty much any language to see how well, how well that'll come up. Mm -hmm. You definitely can do Game of Life in Flutter. If you wanted to, to do why, why does this sound like you've come in contact with it already? Well, now I'm thinking of maybe this sounds like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> See, now here's the next tutorial we want for 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 the race side. You know, just a game of life in Flutter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll leave we that in the show like, notes and then yeah. turn it into a link as soon as we can. <laughs> we did have a couple games uh, already uh, on Flutter in the tutorial site. So we did Minesweeper. Uh, we did Snake. Uh, but they're still, yeah, they're very uh, primitive or kind of casual games, I would mm -hmm. say. Not, not your AAA high production value uh, games. I mean, well, I mean, a good demo site is only going to give you the framework for a game. It's not necessarily going to evolve that thing out to something that's really broadcast ready. Yes, <laughs> of course. Well, and also there can be a lot of like really fun games to make, to play, to learn from developing, to learn from playing that don't have to be like immersive 3D, look at the terrain change. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's like all oh, the contouring is amazing. Like there's a lot of cool things you can do without 
that level of engine for sure. that kind of engine yeah. so. and even from like an educational perspective um even when, when working with some of my uh, students and mentees sometimes making games is a great way to start programming not only because it's fun but also because it's hard like it's probably creating a responsive 60 frames per second game even the simplest type of game uh, is going to be a much more challenging mental experiment than a crud app yeah game game logic and state machines are very very different from just your typical network call for an api off of in json it's it's very different yes refresh our minds what was it that got you hooked onto flutter in the first place <laughs> uh so that's a, a long and sordid story that's all right we've got time <laughs> Uh, so I started actually off as a as a game developer before becoming a mobile developer. So was doing a lot of work on the, the PlayStation Three, Xbox, um, and then uh, moving to discovering Unity and saying like, okay, well it's hard enough to make a game once. Uh, I don't really want to have to rewrite this game seven times to mm -hmm. get everywhere. So. Unity was a fantastic solution at the time, and uh, eventually when moving away from the game industry uh, for various reasons and into the app uh, market, it became strange. Like, why do I have to write this twice now for iOS and Android? I know I can have the, the game industry has solved this problem. Why hasn't the app industry solved this problem? Uh, and you were presented with technologies like Apache Cordova or Xamarin or Kong or Kony, sorry. Uh, and there's a so a whole line of multi-platform uh, technologies, most of them trying to use web technology to solve the problem. And it just didn't work. <laughs> uh, it worked close enough, but it, compared to what you can create with, um, uh, with uh, Objective-C and then Swift, uh, it just, it was, you have this beautiful performance 60 frames per second app, or you have something where you're struggling to do basic navigation. And when phones were less powerful, it was very, very noticeable, the difference between hybrid apps and uh, mobile apps. So it was always kind of pushing against these technologies, but still curious about them. Uh, and eventually uh, Flutter came along and kind of was very similar, but says, we're not, we're gonna try multi-platform but we're not using JavaScript. We're going to use a compiled type safe object oriented language, which is Dart. Uh, and if you were to look at Dart side by side with uh, Swift and Kotlin, you would probably be hard pressed to tell a difference. Like they're basically equivalent uh, feature wise. Um, I like to affectionately call Dart the most boring programming language I've ever encountered because I was able to understand it immediately by just looking at the code after working in Swift for five years. So that was uh, the developers of Dart have taken that uh, taken uh, language evolution very seriously. And they always they don't want to be the first to any uh, language feature, but they want to try developing it the best. And they'll take bits and pieces. And sometimes it's um, it's interesting what they purposely choose not to include. So like, and where they want to focus. So it's it's a very, very conservative, but also very easy to understand language. Can you give me an example of something that Dart didn't pick up? Uh, reflection is uh, was actually removed from Dart. 
So it did kind of exist at the beginning. And then there was a library called Dart Mirrors, uh, which is basically not really used anymore. Uh, so at this point, there isn't any active uh, reflection uh, framework um, in Dart. People have tried to solve this problem with uh, using uh, compile time reflection. So you do so you do like code generation. You can add some annotations on top of your functions, like you would in Java. But you actually have to run a preprocessor to annotate those to turn those annotations into generate code. So when you're actually running the app, there's no reflection. It's just running off generated files, uh, which I'm ambivalent about. I'm not convinced this is the greatest idea, but. One of the things that you'd said when you were on before that was simpler in Dart, I'm wondering, is this still the case? Is Dart is single-threaded, that you don't mm -hmm. have any management of threads? Is that still true today? Yeah, that, so there is a, a kind of yes, kind of no. <laughs> so for the most part, uh, Dart has a, a system called isolates, which is their kind of solution for threats. So isolates are almost like a mini process in a sense. So you have your application run in its own main isolate, which has an event loop, kind of similar to the way JavaScript works, where you throw messages and events into the loop and it will just get to them one after the other. Uh, and if you wanted to, you can spawn uh, child isolates that can run separately and have their own event loop that can that doesn't share memory with the parent isolate. So you would have to do work in your other isolate and then copy any data over back to the parent if you wish to do multi-threading. And it is uh, something that you can do. Um, sometimes it's uh, advantageous. Most of the time it's unnecessary. Uh, the, the main Dart engine is so performant, uh, it's rare to actually run into situations where you need to use isolates. And sometimes you might find that the copying of data is actually more expensive than just running it in the main isolate. So even, well, even network calls, you can actually just do. So you would call to the standard HTTP library that would return uh, a future, which is kind of the equivalent of a JavaScript promise. Right. Uh, though I think futures are in Swift now. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, if, or well, I know they have async await. Are they? It, it, there's async await. Yes, you guys finally got that. That's yeah, <laughs> be nice. <laughs> Remember, we all play nice in this world here. I know. Right. No, I was wait when I I was waiting with bated breath for async await to get come to Swift because it's been a life changer to finally remove. Uh, the callback hell that you can get stuck in. Mm -hmm. with. So you also do Swift development? Not so much anymore. Um, I used to do a lot of Swift development and then slowly Flutter has been taken over to the point where I'm basically full-time Flutter at this point. Yeah, I was really curious about this as, you know, as these two years have gone by, you had just started your independent contracting uh, fortuitously. Mm -hmm. um, prior to your last podcast interview. So in the, you know, I guess it must have been winter or spring of 20. So do you think, is there money to be made as a Flutter developer? Is that for those people out there who are listening, who are building skills as a dev, who are new to their careers, should they lean into Flutter? Are there, are there jobs to be had? For sure. 
uh, Flutter is definitely exploding in terms of popularity. There, it, Flutter is probably a safer bet than React Native uh, at this point, if you were to go down the multi-platform route. And for a lot of companies, and this is even um, on clients that I consult with, if you're starting with a greenfield project, uh, I would I might not earn myself any friends of this comment, but I'd say Flutter should be your default choice at this point. Oh, interesting. You should choose it before you consider native and only consider native if you have a really good reason. And if you have, like, if you need to do a, some very heavy integration with system hardware or something that's like really like tied to the platform. But if you're writing a CRUD app, if you're writing something that is basically can go anywhere, uh, pick Flutter first and then look into uh, other technologies after the fact. And I presume you're saying that based on expertise where you have clients who are having you do exactly that. Yes, that is correct. And you and there's nothing stopping you from going down and writing native code if you need to. So there are cases um, in some of my client apps where I do need to put in a bit of Swift and a bit of Kotlin. And there are uh, mechanisms called uh, platform uh, methods where you can bridge down to the native platform and do whatever you need um, and then come back up to the flutter layer so you're not locked off um, by any stretch of the imagination from any technology and you should probably always use the right tool for the right job so you don't want to be this guy where if i only have a hammer every problem looks like a nail that's not right true. Mm-hmm. you have to. so maybe being a polygot developer is um sometimes the most uh, the, the best way to go so don't be a, like maybe we might run into a problem where we need some rust and rust might be the best tool for the problem like all of these technologies exist for a reason um if otherwise there would be only one programming language and there isn't Mm -hmm. so i think i'm smiling because i think polyglot development is a theme of this season also you know we talked about that with well we had we had alex back on and uh alex talked about being a polyglot himself um so let's let's break down flutter and and how it works is it its own ui in place of the native yes so flutter takes over the the rendering completely uh everything goes down to the the skia rendering engine which then is wrapper on top of the gpu and it just renders everything there and then comes back so there is no communication at all with any of the platform uh um, UI. So there are facsimiles of the, what in Flutter they're called the, they call them the Cupertino widgets, but uh, I don't think Apple ever gave them an official design name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you also have material widgets for the Android side. And now you have fluent widgets for the Windows side, but ah. these are all recreations. So people at Google have very carefully studied how Apple has composed their uh, their UI and very carefully studied how materials composed and create Flutter equivalents that are more or less pixel perfect um, as close as possible. I I hard would be hard pressed to compare the two. There might be a little difference, but for an if you're not a developer, which is most users, uh, you probably won't be able to tell. 
Is that one of those things where if, say, Windows does a Windows 15, Windows 16, where they change the UX, or Apple pulls another iOS 7 and changes the UX, there may be a noticeable difference between a Flutter compiled app and a native compiled app? Sure. Yeah, because they're because not tied to those libraries. Right. Uh, which may be a good thing or a bad thing. I, I remember when the great um, move away from skeuomorphism, where you right. had components to uh, that mm -hmm. suddenly didn't look right, and everyone was scrambling to update their app. So with Flutter, you'll never have that problem because you're in full control of everything. So mm -hmm. you can choose when you want to migrate your style. And even then, I've been kind of talking with clients on how you probably actually want to push your own identity more right. than the identity of the platform. Because that is actually like, if you're just working so hard to create an app that looks like a Cupertino app, an Apple app, why not just have Apple make it? They, uh, they push on their design identity and Google's push it on their design identity. You should create your own. I always refer uh, to it as the Adobe syndrome, which is Photoshop looks like Photoshop, no matter what platform you run it on. Exactly. Though I will right. say that it still carries sort of that, that native smell. If that's, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I can take a look at, Photoshop on one platform or the other, and I can say, yeah, well, this is that platform's Photoshop. But I guess that gets away from the idea with Flutter that you could really focus in on this is what the UX vocabulary of my world is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There are, there are some things that you kind of want to be universal. Like, uh, let me scroll would be the best example. So, like, iOS has that bouncy scroll when mm -hmm. you get to the edges, and um, Android has that glow that you, when you get to the top and bottom and Flutter will actually hand that, handle that for you transparently, uh, regardless oh, of whether excellent. you use the Cupertino widgets or the material widgets, you'll just get that effect uh, that'll be platform aware. And it's if you wanted to, you can create a whole slew of platform aware wrappers, which is something I've done on some of my apps where they're just so I may have what I call a platform button, and then I'll say, am I on Android? Okay, return the material button. If I'm on iOS, return the Cupertino button, and no right. one would be the wiser. So you mm -hmm. can use um, object-oriented strategies to encapsulate these design languages if you wish. But Flutter's not gonna make that decision for you. That's you as a developer need to make those decisions. So climbing into Flutter from a new developer's point of view, and let's mm -hmm. not worry about the whole unlearn your native or <laughs> learn this. Where is the general knowledge progression? Do you start with sort of the the Dart language business logic and then move into the UX? Or it, what is the general path of learning Flutter? Mm. So this is a challenging question. Well, thank you. That's what I'm here for. Uh, probably because the answer is it depends. <laughs> Uh, it, it, everyone is a different type of learner. Um, I don't think there's a one way to do it. It's really, it's who you are as a developer. So for me, I would like to learn the language first, uh, but that's my personal um, strategy. I can't say that that translates to another developer. Uh, so Flutter or Dart has a simple, like quick summary of the Dart language. You can read it in like an hour, maybe less. And oh, wow. you'll know, and you'll know Dart by the end of that 
document because it is such an easy language to pick up. Um, or if you're a more visual person and you want to jump straight into composing widgets, just go ahead. Uh, Dart pretty much stays out of the way for the most part. So if you've ever tacked, if you have any Java knowledge, any Swift knowledge, any even JavaScript knowledge, you can just start writing code. You shouldn't even, you shouldn't stumble over the language. Um, and then uh, with, uh, so Flutter also has a feature called Hot Reload, which is basically a game changer from my perspective, where um, anytime you save code while writing, that code will automatically be injected into the simulator or the device. And you'll, at the position that you're at in the app, there's no restarting the app, there's no changing everything. So you can feel free to experiment. There's no having to stop and recompile. Once your app is, uh, is live, there's a, uh, a JIT running between the uh the server between your computer and the simulator and so if you're like for example let's say you're working on an interface and you're like hmm i wonder what it would look like in cornflower blue right so then just change it and hit save and boom your buttons are now blue so it's like swift ui previews only you don't have to keep reloading it and it's it stays yeah. working okay yes it's it's swift ui previews but better uh it's uh, and you get you've gotten that from on mobile. You don't get that on web at this point. So web, you still have to restart the uh, the application when you make changes. But uh, they'll they'll get there with web. Um, it's that that platform's probably has the biggest hill to climb in terms of um, parity to uh, the native uh, version. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, like in your example. For web, you just use the dev tools in the browser to like change design things and say, mm -hmm. oh, it looks like this, you know? Yes, if you're using the DOM, you can definitely do that. But uh, Flutter continues with, the, they wanna basically recreate their own canvas so the DOM isn't used when you use Flutter web, everything's uh, in a canvas. So it sometimes feels like flashes back, but. Uh, oh, interesting. Sorry, I just had a shudder from flash. <laughs> <laughs> Flash used to be amazing in the 90s. I know. I was like, Flash. what? Flash is cool. <laughs> All those little mini games floating. Okay. So we, we talked about Dart getting out of your way because it's a very simple language. Frameworks are where all of the studying comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we, we, we can talk about Swift or Kotlin or Dart and that's really a minimal amount of learning. What really comes yeah. in is where you start saying, I want to put together a table. At least this is me coming from the Swift side. I want to put together <laughs> some complicated UX form, et cetera, and I want to touch networking. And talk to me a little bit about these frameworks. Sure. Uh, so Flutter is structured actually very similar to uh, Jetpack Compose and SwiftUI. So it's a declarative framework. So it, it's, and you will, actually the code will look very similar where you, you have a function that returns a widget, which is, I guess, the Flutter equivalent of a view, though it's actually a little bit simpler than a view. Uh, and you have to then just return basically a tree of widgets that will compose your your ui so for an example of a of a table view if you say like your, your table for example you can return a list view builder 
And then that list view builder will have within it a closure that says, okay, so for I'm on item for index X of your list, what do you want to what do you want to render? So then it will keep mm -hmm. calling this closure over and over again until you and you can return anything you want for that uh, for that index. And then you'll and then Flutter will just take care of the scrolling and all the complicated parts uh, for you. So are we saying that we're going to basically want to be more MVVM for uh, Flutter? Um, <laughs> that's another discussion. <laughs> uh, I don't mean so, to be having you get onto, the, onto one end of all of the holy wars that may be building up over do this, do that, do this, don't. It's not about the code. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Sometimes it is, guys. Yeah. So design architecture is something that is also very interesting, especially in the Flutter uh, world where it seems like every five minutes a new state management package gets invented. Uh, and uh, so my personal um, favorite package, well, not package, structure is called Block, which stands for Business Logic object components this was something that uh, google or originally created for the angular world and then they took this philosophy from uh to other platforms and it's kind of similar to reactive uh, programming where you would be listening to a stream of data and then whenever you get a new event into that stream you then respond accordingly and flutter actually has this built-in widget called stream builder where you can just attach a stream and then every time a new event gets um, gets kicked off you can then return a series of widgets that then respond to that data so it's uh, there's this uh, formula that they like to show on the, the flutter site which is ui is a function of state which is probably the same as swiss ui i think at right. this point where mm -hmm. you have your data and then you create your ui in response to your data not uh like the ui kit way where you set up your structure and then constantly have to refresh your ui and widgets are super cheap so you can just create them and destroy them with impunity you don't have to worry about performance let flutter worry about performance uh at least for the most part that that that, sec that sentence comes with asterisks uh and uh yeah so that's but there's plenty of other strategies that people have come up with if you want to do redux within flutter you can there are packages to support this. There's a billion state management slash dependency injection packages that you can choose, whatever your state managed package to sure is. Uh, and providers, one of the most popular ones right now where you create this uh, these types of widgets that don't render anything, they just store data. And then mm. when... Um, whenever the data changes, those widgets can then send messages down to their children because everything in Flutter is a tree. And then the child widgets that are listening to those provider widgets can then redraw automatically. And you can get very complicated very fast with this because you constantly have to think about um, your tree algorithm in your head. Uh, I usually advise against that. I'm kind of keep your code boring, keep it simple. Um, if you don't need MVVM, don't use it. If you don't need provider, don't use it. Like these tools are here to solve problems, but sometimes they create more complexity than than needed. And there's nothing wrong with doing the most basic thing first and then refactoring towards a more complex architecture later on. I, I appreciate you calling out the uh, the KISS design algorithm. 
<laughs> yes. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, readily understandable by newbies. Readily understandable by newbies, by oldies, and by you when you go back to your own code 12 months later and go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? <laughs> yes. Just I remember to document. <laughs> yes. I love the joke that uh, programming is like a murder mystery where you're both the detective and the killer. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one before, and I really should have. That's beautiful. Um, I can't take credit for it. <laughs> let's uh, let's back out of uh, out of the the Flutter depths for a moment and talk about the tools for Flutter. Is what is the the preferred tool of Flutter right now to over the IDE, etc. <laughs> Uh, whatever you want. <laughs> That's, so well, what do you use? What's the most uh, well, not, fun not and X, easy not way? Not Xcode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not Xcode. You can use Vim if you wanted to. Uh, you, yeah, I would be impressed if you just, I know actually a couple uh, Flutter devs who have set up Vim, uh, but uh, the three primary um, uh, IDEs that are recommended by uh, by Google are uh, Android Studio slash IntelliJ, so the same thing, and uh, Visual Studio Code. So I lean more towards the IntelliJ side for my preferences, but that's just because I was doing Android development and I have all the keyboard shortcuts memorized and I just mm. don't feel like rewriting that muscle memory. So mm -hmm. that's, and I'm okay with my Mac overheating for something. <laughs> I'll take the hit. You mean you don't have an M1 yet? I do have an M1 actually. And it's overheating. <laughs> Sometimes, actually, IntelliJ is a beast. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe some plugin that I installed is not optimized for the M1, but uh, that can happen. Uh, that, that probably VS can happen. It's, if it's yeah. not optimized, it's running through the emulating. Uh, oh, I forget what it's called, but it's the Rosetta. The Rosetta. Yeah. And that probably is, is causing it to burn a bit. Yeah. So actually, IntelliJ is a little bit ahead of the game in terms of M1 compatibility than um, Android Studio, just because Android Studio is, they have to get a copy of IntelliJ and then add their layers on top of it and repackage it. So if you want, if you're an M1 user, probably use M1, use IntelliJ first and don't worry about Android Studio, even though Android Studio is required to get the Android SDK to build on Android. So you'll just have both on your computer. Um, and you can, and if you want to use Visual Studio because you don't want your computer to light on fire, um, <laughs> that's <laughs> an option too. Uh, it's really, it's what works best for you because because Flutter runs as a service in the background and it's compatible with all these IDEs, it's, and it will come to where you want it to be. There might even be someone working on an Eclipse plugin, maybe. So basically, <laughs> at core, a text editor and a couple of command lines. Sure. Yeah, you could do that if you want. Uh, but uh, there's such great autocomplete support. I, I would say stick with one of the IDEs to take advantage of uh, what uh, the Dart Analyzer and Dart Service can do. And sometimes even like going back to native, like I miss how good the uh, the Dart Analyzer is. Like there's this feature to automatically format your code uh, just built in to um, to Dart. So every time I hit save, everything snaps into place. It ends the great bracket war because everything's formatted and um, it cleans up your imports automatically where if you were to go to Java or to Swift, suddenly like, why is my 
why are all my extra spaces there? How come I have to manually delete spaces again? Because I'd have to install Swift Lint or whatever to get that to do its thing. But uh, so Dart and Flutter are very much batteries included in terms of uh, developer experience. We wish we had time to fit in everything that we said in the entire interview, but if you want to see everything we said just as well as hearing everything we said, you can see the episode on YouTube in just a few weeks. Thank you once again, Brian, yes. for making it onto the show. We're going to definitely have you back in a few seasons. It was a pleasure. Super nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you as well. Coming up next episode in about two weeks, Renan Diaz will be joining us to talk about his upcoming book, Real World iOS by Tutorial. After that, it is time getting toward the end of the season to put the co-host and the host on the hot seat. Susanna will offer us a behind-the-scenes look at the iOS tutorial development process here at WebWinderlich.com. So that's going to be in four weeks. In the meantime, for Susanna, who I could not do this season without, and for Brian, thank you for being on the show. I am Drew Freeman. You can find Brian on Twitter at BKFITS. That's B-K-A-Y-F-I-T-Z. Susanna, you can find it Suzgupta, S-U-Z-G-U-P-T-A. I am Podcast Drew, D-R-U. We'll see you all again on the next episode in two weeks. In the meantime, back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlick.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.